The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two excellent co-hosts, plus an exciting guest. Laura Nash. Nate Heininger. And joining us this week is our bird correspondent, a friend of the show, producer, and professional podcaster and radio personality, Mark Bramhill. How are you doing, Mark? Great. So happy to join the show again. It's been too long. It's been way too long. What happened? (laughs) When, it have been what, a what could have happened <laughs> that would have delayed this? Also, you know, numerous life changes for everyone on the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. It's been too long since we did a proper bird week. That's, I think that's the problem. That's the yeah. takeaway. We are overdue for bird week. Yeah, I don't think we <laughs> can truly weird. blame the pandemic on a show that's been remote from its inception. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I blame the pandemic for literally everything at this point, and it always works. It's the perfect excuse for literally everything. Yeah, I mean, it obviously was the pandemic's problem, but I think the learn here is that we need to bring back bird week it's been too long but mark so glad you joined us on um you know there's a bird game on this thing so i was gonna say this is a this is you know stealth bird content this week. yeah we have exactly the right uh guest for this show and this this specific episode we are it's not not bird week although you might have thought that no this episode we're talking about the play date uh, the weird little square yellow console from Panic, of all people. Uh, and I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, Shane isn't on the episode because he's the only loser who didn't get a play date. <laughs> and it's Sorry, his fault. Shane. Our sympathies. It's a judgment on his character and personality that his has been shipped a lot slower than the rest of ours. It's exactly. a judgment on his impulse buying. Where he <laughs> waited just a little longer than the rest of us who yep. could buy Almost immediately, because it was cute and yellow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I almost never, I almost never buy things like this. This is the only same like novelty, um, you know, device that I think I own and have ever really owned. Um, <laughs> Whereas I am sitting here at my desk. With, <laughs> yeah, right. I think if I count literally seven handheld game consoles, Reagan is surrounded. Reach. So uh, I am your, uh, I am your reverse twin, yeah. Heininger. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, I did order. <laughs> I, I am still impatiently, frankly, waiting for my Steam Deck. Steam Deck. I'm about to burn down Reagan's house and steal his. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm, I, this is the first one I've, I've bought, I think ever, and I'm excited to talk about it today. Yeah, me too. So I thought before we really dive in, we're, we're mostly going to be talking about, uh, just the experience of some of the games that we've played on play date. We, we've now, each of us has had the play date for at least a few weeks, two or three weeks, I think. Um, and so we've had the chance to try a bunch of different games. And so we're mostly going to be talking about those, but before we dive into talking about, uh, the games, um, you could, depending on what corner of the gaming web you inhabit, it's entirely possible that you're not all that familiar with the play date or where it comes from. Um, so, uh, I thought we could start by talking a little bit about what is this weird little yellow thing that we're all, uh, fidgeting with and, uh, and then kind of go from there. 
Um, Mark, I know you have a bit of backstory with Panic, uh, maybe more than any of the rest of us. So maybe <laughs> could you tell us the story of the play date a little bit? Yeah. So Panic, uh, for most of the company's history, uh, it started in the mid 90s. Um, they are a Mac software company. They have made uh, Audion, which was a early mp3 player for the mac uh that almost became itunes you can listen to a story i did about that on welcome to macintosh um very good extremely good episode. excellent <laughs> well, plug. Macintosh, really well good done one. and uh, uh, <laughs> specifically, that's a professional that was right a professional, there everybody yeah, <laughs> it was specifically um uh, relevant to me because i was a big audion user back in the 90s it was my mp3 my first mp3 playing um uh, you know, software. And I got very into the themes and all mm. of that. And uh, I mean, well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but gosh, the, uh, the, the play date feels and looks a little bit like an Audion theme to me. It's something where the, uh, the faces to Audion as they were called, um, right. then the, like that spirit, uh, it has been one of the few like through lines for panic. I think um, they make, also a file transfer protocol app called Transmit. If you are listening to this podcast, uh, it went through Transmit. <laughs> I use that every time I upload the show to S3. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I use it every, like regularly for work. It is a fantastic app. Um, and then they make a, now an app called Nova, which is a fantastic code editor. Um, but they have also, in more recent history... Uh, started getting into games uh, with first as a publisher for Firewatch. Is it right? Am I right that they were mm -hmm. a publisher? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They've they only a publisher, right? I don't think they've ever developed their own games apart from maybe if you count things on the playdate. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because if it was producer and publisher, what it, what exactly? And I'm now second guessing myself. I'm pretty sure publisher is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, they were a publisher on Firewatch and then uh, again with uh, Untitled Goose Game, which uh, both of those were fantastic. Um, and I think they've been increasingly just excited about doing uh, video game stuff just because that's what the people who work there are interested in, in addition to the seemingly unrelated <laughs> file transfer <laughs> app and uh code editor um you got to pay the bill and, somehow although i guess yeah. they they might have made more off of firewatch and uh and goose game oh but. to be honest that they're like most apps i know they get incredibly angry that x doesn't exist make one internally and then decide that they should sell that <laughs> yeah yeah there's not enough goose games in the market <laughs> there is a severe lack of waterfowl I, honestly i think like goose game was was such a massive success for them like i, I i'm not sure timing wise um do, do you know if the if the success of goose game it would have happened after they began this project right because i know that the mm -hmm. the play date was in Absolutely. progress for a really long time yeah so uh for context um that story that i did about panic uh i went and visited their offices in portland which are really pretty um and that was in december 2016 um the room that uh they picked out for doing the interviews in uh after i arrived and we sat down they realized that all over the walls and sitting around were uh like 
details about the games for the play date and <laughs> prototype hardware that they had just forgotten to clean up. Uh, and rather than having me sign an NDA or do anything around that, they were just like, you won't tell anyone, right? Do you want to see a demo of what this is? <laughs> um, and then in December 2016, they were saying like, oh man, this project is really dragged on, but we're finally going to get it out this coming year. So uh, Ooh, <laughs> that, that was... Uh, then I someone think... had that goose game idea, and they diverted all resources from <laughs> from play date. They found house house. <laughs> yeah. They were like, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's something where I think that had been going on. It was initially an idea for a thing that would be like a like a fifteenth uh, or twentieth anniversary of Panic, like kind of gag gift sort of thing, <laughs> just like yeah. to commemorate this, uh, and it just continued to kind of have scope creep until it was suddenly like, this is a project that we've put a lot of resources into. <laughs> scope <laughs> and creep in this industry? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it uh, ultimately then has become a real thing that has seemingly been quite popular. They're backordered until 2023. So the, you know, and people seem to overall be liking it. It's just weird to see this company known for utility Mac apps then be making this just bizarre little handheld game system. But I love it. Turns out if you make it cute and yellow, people will throw money at it. Don't until... discount the power of a crank. Mm -hmm. It's a good the gimmick. It's very delightful. It's a good gimmick. Do you know when they partnered with a teenage engineering for the they um, had partnered with teenage engineering by the time i saw the prototype i okay. think it was relatively recent at that point um but yeah. they have a really good podcast by the way where they, they've started they have a panic podcast and they also have a playdate podcast now that um they have a very in-depth episode sort of telling the story of the development of the play date with lots of, you know, interviews and so on. And, and it's very charming. It's a re really great listen. So if folks want a really in-depth, uh, uh, you know, history of the play date, um, you know, go check that out. It's a really, really nice one. Um, but it is really like, it is really weird to see from the outside, like for folks, folks who aren't familiar with panic as a developer, like you, you hear something like, uh, you know, developer of utility apps, and you have this impression of like what that means. But like Panic has always been this sort of weirdo company in the Mac software scene. Um, as a like a, a you know Mac nerd in the '90s, you know you didn't know the name of the person who made um, you know all, you know most of the utility apps on your Mac, especially if they were like you know, corporate-y, right? But, like, you knew who Panic was, and you probably even knew who Cable Sasser was. Like, Cable Sasser has always been this sort of, like, very um, uh, vibrant personality in the sort of Mac software scene, and later, you know, iOS and and just sort of the that nerd area of the world. Um, and, you know, th th that personality has always sort of come through in the software. Like, there's little touches, even just simple stuff like the, the, the icons are just sort of very playful. Um, and they always have been, even going back to the 90s. We're talking about like, you know, chunky old Mac uh, software that just like looked cute in ways that other Mac software didn't at the time. 
So I, I don't know. I, I, I love sort of following that story through. And when they started getting into video games, um, a lot of folks were pretty surprised, but I was a little bit less so because it's always sort of been like on the periphery of their company. Something I really remember is that um, back in the, I don't know when this would have been, but whenever um, Katamari Damacy came out for the PlayStation 2, um, you know, I was wild about that game. I went out and got it the first day that it came out. And then I started looking around for merch for Katamari Damacy. Um, even went so far as one of my friends had a screen printing thing and was like making Katamari Damacy shirts herself. Um, but like I found out that there was official merch uh, for Katamari Damacy and it was sold through Panic's web store. Like they were the only they were the only place in the United States where you could order a Katamari Damacy shirt in like 2010 or whenever this would have been. I don't even know. Um, just because like, I guess Cable was like a huge fan and talked to Keita Takahashi about it. And sure, why not? Worked out to sell merch for him in the US, which and is super then weird. And later on... Right. Like, hi, I sold your merch. Make me a game for my weird little yellow hardware. Yeah. And it all worked out. I, I love that weird through line of it. It's so amazing. So I, I'm I'm just so happy that this finally came out. I thought that I was like a little worried having heard a little bit about this every now and then since probably around, you know, when when Mark was uh seeing the um the clandestine demo. Well, if you remember um, after Mark's, you know clandestine demo he did come out and just started telling everyone and everyone about it as much as he could yeah. so oh, yeah. i remember they call him the playdate leaker oh, yeah i remember the con- the contra <laughs> the, the controversy <laughs> oh man but they've been demoing the thing in person at places like pax for years and it's been delayed and delayed and you know part of it was obviously due to the, the pandemic but they've had other significant delays they had an issue with the batteries that they had to do a, a whole extra almost year of of work um, kind of just refitting them with with you know different hardware. So brand new it's chips. Been a troubled project. Yeah, yeah they they um, were impacted. They were getting ready to ship, and then the chip shortage, um, you know, made them basically bring them all back and actually have to replace the whole chipset and rewrite a bunch of the code for the new chipset. I mean, they've just been hit by every possible delay. Um, but we're here now. They, so <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> and um, uh, if you are. You know, just hearing about this today, or you know, you're just thinking about buying a play date. I would go ahead and do a pre-order. Um, they're back ordered pretty far. <laughs> I just at this point, you're probably going to be getting it early in next year. You know, if you change your mind, you can go cancel it. But at this point, I'd say you know, go ahead and hop on that train. I love mine. I think it's great. Uh, we'll get into into all the specifics in a bit, but like, um, you know, Shane, come on, what you do? You waited too long. <laughs> you gotta you gotta get in there fast with these sorts of projects. Yeah, I think um, we were yeah. all in this first several thousand orders, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think Mark, Mark, I think you were you were was, way earlier than any I of was. Us. Order number one thousand. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, evidently that was a notification that uh, Panic got, and they tweeted at me about. This. Did they know? <laughs> did they were like, oh, that's that guy who revealed all our <laughs> secrets five years ago, <laughs> seven years ago, whatever. It's been a long time. (laughs) So um, before we get into talking about the games, I think maybe we should start by talking about the hardware. We don't need to be like the gadget blogger, you know, unboxing video type thing. But like the there's so much to this that's that's out of the ordinary for a, uh, you know, game device 
that we need to talk about just sort of what it is what it is like to hold and what are what are all the bits on it a yeah. little bit. Um, uh, Mark, what was your first impression of the of the hardware? I mean, I think the the for one, just how incredibly small it is. Like it is impossibly thin and tiny. <laughs> just, yeah, it is. Even I've though been the telling. My coworkers, it is like picture a yellow post-it notepad. Yeah. And yeah. then take about fifty post-its, maybe yeah. thirty, and that's it. That is it's a, the size and shape and weight. It's a craft American single Game Boy, is basically <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's smaller it, than a craft American single. Like I think it, it is, yeah. Wrap you could wrap this in a piece of cheddar <laughs> yeah. and it would be, be contained. It, it's smaller and it would be than delicious. Even though they gave you the dimensions, you know, you knew what you're buying. It it was Smaller it's than I expected. Yes, very small. <laughs> it is. Uh, part of it was a pleasant surprise for me. When I bought the thing, I kind of expected this to be sort of a desk toy. And that is a big part of it. Like, you know, it's a, it's a cute little you know, game thing. Here I am talking to you from a desk with a bunch of handheld video game consoles sitting on it in various different states. Um, so I was thinking like, oh, you know, this will be a fun thing for me to sit at my desk. I'll probably mostly play it there. Um, and it, actually, I've ended up carrying it around a ton. And it's partly because it's exactly the right size. If you're a dude and wearing a shirt with a front pocket, which I wear a lot of that kind of shirt, uh, it fits so perfectly into a shirt pocket that it feels like that must have been a design consideration or plan. Like it's it fits so perfectly in there to the point where it's like it, it it's not so big that it makes you feel like you have a weird bulge on your shirt. You kind of forget it's there, but it's easy to pull out. It's perfectly sized. And it's uh, you know, I, I wouldn't probably put this in like a back pocket or something. It's not quite tough enough to sit on, but um it feels like really nice in your hands and it's so portable. It's just really easy to just slip into wherever you can put a yeah. Like a yeah, post-it notes are a perfect uh, approximation, though. Yeah, it was actually the the hardware, the the appeal of the hardware is what ultimately made me decide to to purchase one because, like I said, I don't normally buy things like this. But um, their partnership with Teenage Eng- Engineering is what kind of sold it for me. Um, they make synthesizers and little fun music creation gizmos. I've talked about them on the show in the past, uh, and they always look really good feel really good are fun to play and the like you know panic has the reputation that they have uh for software and just that sort of ease of use and fun quality and then teenage engineering creates really good hardware that also sounds really good and has little tiny led screens all over them so i thought like this is a really interesting and a really cool partnership and that's Mm -hmm. what sold it for me was that promise of interesting hardware and you know so far the promises made promises kept uh it has felt good and the the crank it's a good it's a good crank yeah we didn't talk about the crank yet which is the most (laughs) obvious uh like physical property of the hardware um you know they, they uh they really sell it on the crank not every game uses the crank although most do to some degree but like the crank is like it's right there it sticks out it has a cute little like uh docking thing where it kind of folds out from the side of the console but it still feels really sturdy to me at least and um it just kind of you know the, the overall the controls are very game boy like you've got a d-pad and an a and b button and then a menu button uh no start and select but um 
the crank gives you analog input and different games use it in so many different ways. We'll talk about it as we go through some of the games, but it's really clever. It's like, it's the most unique control on the thing. You know, it's, it's the, this is the only game console that has a crank unless you're thinking fishing controllers on the Dreamcast or whatever. Um, <laughs> which, which honestly, like, yes, yes, that was good too. But, um, like very unique little thing. And it's easy to sell it on that. Like you could say like, this is a weird little handheld game console that has a crank and your mind immediately goes to like, what do you do with a crank in a video game? And you start thinking about, well, maybe it could do this or that. And then maybe they give you some demos of games using the crank and it's all very clever and interesting. And I think the same, like it it appeals to developers who are like, wow, a neat piece of hardware. I would love to try to build something for that. And it appeals to the people looking at, you know, this is just sort of a cute little game toy to, to stick in their shirt pocket or on their desk because what else do you have that has a crank? You're not going to compare this against your Game Boy or your 3DS or whatever, because this is the only one of those that has a crank. <laughs> so Mark has been on for a few of our Apple Design Awards, uh, which often are Apple rewarding a thing that is they feel is specific to an iPhone award, although they've yeah. drifted. Um, and I feel like uh, the crank, the small size, there's a lot of things that make the Playdate feel unique and special. Um, I love that it's like off-center screen. It's not, it's not a, the screen isn't wide. It's got a personality. Um, honestly, for me, it was the combination of the, uh, a little device that, like, at the worst, I've bought a cute object. Like, if all the <laughs> games are terrible, I will not hate looking at this. As opposed to, let's be honest, there are a lot of game consoles that are just ugly. Mm-hmm. And they are Most. big bricks. Most are ugly. Yeah. Many are big bricks. Many are, mm-hmm. like, trying to be super uber gamer. And they put, like, you know, chrome and neon lights on it. Like, does not fit the rest of my lifestyle. Um, <laughs> I appreciate like. Great pedigree. The season had wonderful developers I was excited about. I figured the crank was going to be inspiring. And if you say, we're going to give you some small snack size games and you're going to get two a week in a manageable time slot and it's going to be in a very nice little package that I trust is made by someone who's good. I'm like, yeah, it, it, all those things took the risk way down for me. Who would, I'm not also not a console buyer and I'm not an early adopter, but... I wanted to play the games with other people. I didn't want to mm-hmm. wait a year and play the games. So that's yeah. Those are all things that really sold me on it. And I think the um, only complaint is that they have a fantastic. I picked the word clock, which is incredibly charming, and I just wanted it to be a display. And there is no kickstand. And there's no way to balance this thing on a desk. So I had to buy a business card holder off Amazon that is very sharp. But oh, that looks cute, though. That looks like yeah. it would work for the. It costs that's... $3. And, <laughs> right. and we can link it in the show notes. It is excellent. It fits right here. And I have wow. a desk clock. Perfect. Um, Going to get wow. rich off that affiliate money. <laughs> rich off that affiliate money. When you're buying your $3 business <laughs> card holder, please enter we our promo code. We will get We don't have a name. Yeah. But, um, no. Except I, I can't read it right now because it's it's nighttime and the screen doesn't work in the dark, which is my that's other only complaint. That's same. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely something to talk about. So the screen is the other, I think, really unique part of this. Um, one of the things I was, you know, I heard somewhere, maybe it was in the Panic podcast, I'm not sure, um, was that one of the very first things they decided on uh, for this was the screen. Because mm-hmm. at some point, um, that cable saw 
the uh, sharp memory LCDs, which is what this uses. Uh, and it is a really unique looking LCD. It's not a kind of display that I've seen on any other stuff. I think the only other time I might have seen this kind of display is on things like payment. Um, I've seen some like payment kiosk type things that use yeah. displays like this. Um, but it's very unique and actually a really interesting display for this kind of device. So the, the memory LCD is a very high resolution black and white only black and white, no grayscale display that is highly reflective, but is not backlit. Um, uh, so uh, Sharp has a website about this where they tout like what it's good for, but like there's a couple of big things about it. The, the main one is that it kind of has the look of e-ink. So if you've used something like a Kindle, it looks quite a bit like the e-ink display of a Kindle. It's a little bit, it's like more, it's more about like a reflective. It's not quite the same as e-ink, but it, it has something of that character to it. Yeah, it's got um, like an e-ink feel, but like if you're on like a, a really nice high resolution MacBook, it, it yeah. kind of feels like a blend of the really two. Really sharp exactly, e-ink. Yeah. Very sharp. Exactly, yeah. Um, and the, the like high reflectivity of it mm-hmm. like gives it that sort of like high contrast look. You do still, obviously it doesn't work in the dark. It's, uh, it, but, but I think some of the reviews that have been, um, talking about like how they, you know, it should have been backlit or they wish it was backlit or a little bit overstating it. Like as long as you're not in a completely dark room, I haven't had much trouble. Well, I mean, I'll say, you know, for me who I have a myriad of eye problems, it does, it, I basically have to have it like directly lit in order to really see it. Like I was sitting on the couch, like this is not enough light. Like I need, it's nice at my desk where I have this like really nice LED light that I can you know, put it directly on it. But otherwise I found it difficult to play outside of being directly lit. I'm obviously unique in that, you know, situation, but still I was like, Ugh, this is a backlit would be a backlight would be really nice. And the only reason this bothers me at all is because I pictured this as a really good waiting for friends at the bar game. And mm. I think it's going to be waiting for friends at the park game. And yeah. that's yeah. fine. You, it just you'd be changes knocking over the circumstances. Drinks. You know, you're, you're, you're cranking so hard. You start, <laughs> you start wilding out and you're knocking over drinks. And yeah, like, that's probably about it. Better. Like how charming, like if you're sitting at like a bar playing a little play day by yourself, you look much more fun than like looking at your phone. Right. So I, I yeah. it, it sounds like a silly thing, but someone I, walks I out. They're like, you look, looks like you're looking for a, play date and you're like get the hell yeah. away from me this might have been like when i read lord of the rings on the bleachers in high school and like all the nerd boys came oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah i haven't had that experience but i can see that um so yeah physically hardware wise like i'm i'm really in love with the thing i just i really find it fun to hold fun to use fun to play there's a few little um like uh things about it that i i would like i would improve i think it's d-pad is fine but not great but barely Um, used well yeah my favorite game on it which we'll talk about is d-pad d-pad heavy but Mm. um it's a it's a fine d-pad but then again it's not the worst d-pad i've ever used and it's you know it's fit to purpose um I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me if this is a thing that you guys even notice, or maybe it's only my particular unit, but like the B button is fine and feels perfectly normal. But on my unit, the A button, when I depress it, it depresses at an angle. Mm. Mm. Is that what happens to yours? That 
Okay, that. maybe it's just mine. mine so, like, I think you've got some fit and finish. Okay, damn it, I'm I'm not gonna send the thing wow. back over it. I did. It never was gonna like. It does. It's like it. The button works perfectly fine, but like you know, when I press it, it just feels a little angled. I don't know. I'm hmm. just picky. Um, so like they have a little bit of fit and finish issues. I know that some people have received um, if, you know, units with with one issue or another, and and they've been replacing them. So like. I, I, it hasn't bothered me enough to make an issue out of it, but like you know, little stuff like that, first round, brand new hardware, it's understandable. I think. Yeah. The only other, um, the but, other positive I would throw out is that the sound is good. Oh, yeah. You would, really I would hope from their partnership with Teenage Engineering, who make little synthesizers. They're called pocket operators. I, I mm-hmm. I've done no research, but I imagine that there's some overlap in this technology. Um, you know, they they are known for making very small, good sounding. Um, beat machines and synthesizers and things like that and uh this sounds really good for you know the there's not a lot of space going on inside this thing and so for what they no. were able to cram into it um i i think it sounds yeah, they, really they nice. put a decent speaker in it it's not like gonna knock your socks off but it sounds good uh, and yeah. the sound that, that this thing makes, like I know they have, a, a, you know, they have both the ability to play back like just pre-recorded samples. And I think there is some kind, I don't think it has an actual sound chip, but there is some kind of like system level, um, like synthesizer uh, angle on this as well. And that sounds really good. Um, that actually kind of also leads me to one other thing I wanted to, to, to note while we're still talking about sort of the origins and the hardware and everything of this. And that's that the thing that really attracted me to the Playdate is that I've always been really, really interested in, at least for the last many years, in um, uh, in fantasy consoles. I think we've talked about this in, in the context of Pico 8 before. So, like, there's this, there's a, a number of these out there, but Pico 8 is probably the most well-known. Um, uh, so, Pico 8 kind of explains what a fantasy console is. Uh, they, they describe it as a fantasy console is like a regular console, but without the inconvenience of actual hardware. Pico 8 has everything else that makes a console a console. Machine specifications, a display format, development tools, design culture, distribution platform, community, uh, and playership. It's similar to, in, so they go on to describe a little bit about what Pico 8 is, but if you're not familiar, Pico 8 is basically like a, it, it's almost as if it was like an emulator for a console that never existed. It's a piece of software. You download it, you run it on your computer or other device, but it plays Pico 8 games, which have a specific set of, of you know, things that a Pico 8 game is. You know, they you write them in Lua and they have like a 128 by 128 uh, resolution, et cetera. It's where Celeste so like, started. Yeah, Celeste started as a Pico 8 game. Um, it's a really neat like prototyping tool for game devs, and it's also just like a like a neat set of constraints. So developers like to screw around in Pico 8 because it gives them it's kind of like the like you know four track recorder of uh of you know game development. It's like a, a small simple thing with like tight constraints that lets you do something small and interesting and creative and relatively quickly. Um, and when I heard about the Playdate, it kind of felt like an extension of that idea. Uh, it's this device that, you know, we're th- th- in the modern era, no one was looking to, you know, the, the to make a black and white uh, handheld gaming console with two buttons and a crank. Um, but that is a like specific set of design constraints that panic chose for this they could have put a beefier cpu in it they could have chosen a different lcd they could have done all sorts of other stuff but like this is an interestingly 
specifically chosen set of design constraints and then they and they also created uh, you know nice development tools for developers and it creates this weird inviting environment for developers to create something weird and interesting and so this feels really like a like an outgrowth of the like fantasy console thing but kind of like a reverse fantasy console because like i mean when does a fantasy console stop being a fantasy console it's when it's when it's a console it's just a console it's just a console <laughs> but like i i really like that this has that sort of lineage or it feels like it does to me. And, you know, they, uh, we can talk, I guess, a little bit about the development tools, but like it, uh, it feels like they were looking specifically at that scene. For example, um, they've got the Bitsy, sorry, they've got the pulp um, development tool for this where you can create games easily. And it's based on Bitsy, which is another fantasy console, kind of similar to to Pico eight. and then their their main development tool, you can write games in C, but you can also write them in Lua, which is a, 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 you know, a popular scripting language. It's also the language that was used by Pico 8 and other other fantasy consoles as well, um, as well as, you know, everywhere throughout the gaming industry. It's a very common scripting language, but still it has this it has this sort of through line there. So um, I don't know. I was very excited to see something that took that and run, ran with it in a hardware first direction. Really. Yeah. Neat. I think the subscription element, which is kind of bundled yeah. all into that, is is really unique and a, a huge value add to this whole thing. That was a huge selling point for me. Um, at the time, I was working at a subscription gaming company. So I was like, ah, bundle it with hardware. Maybe this is the secret. Um, it, for me, it's, it is very fun to say you get two games a week and then next week you get two more. And that no matter when you buy it, you're going to be on this. Yeah, we should say the subscription is probably not even the right word because unless you you get the subscription with the purchase of the... They just call it the season model. They don't call it a subscription, although maybe it will be for season two or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't work so well when you're on a podcast and everyone gets the devices at a different time. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> given that um, I am on week four, I think Mark's on week five. Like we're all at different I think stages. We're on the same three. I think we're on the same, Laura. Oh, okay. Um, I but, got it on a Saturday. So mm. I got the first week started or the second week started two days after receiving yeah. it, which is a little mm. ridiculous. Um, but anyway, the nice thing is um, it is, kind of like watching a TV show and being really into it. And like four weeks later, your friends watch it and you're like, yes, we could now talk about it. Like that's kind of what this feels like is yeah. that I'm playing a game. I'm really excited to say like, I am from the future and I like this one. <laughs> like that's a conversation I like having. There's often such an addiction to like a new game that a game that came out six months ago, people have a hard time talking about it because it's quote, no longer relevant. And I know our podcast tries to dissuade people from this, but like this feels like the game is always going to be relevant because people are going to be receiving this up until 2024. So we'll still be talking about week one games then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do feel like we'll probably want to loop back and do another plated episode once we've seen the entire season. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 24 games is like if they had decided to sort of drop 24 games on you, I think it would have been I would have had the same problem with it that I often have when I pick up something like, you know, my Game Boy that has a flash cart in it. It has every single game imaginable. And that is that, like, I only ever play the same three. And um, staring at a list of 50 games, I don't pick one. I put it down again. Um, Whereas like this, where they're sort of releasing games to you weekly, 
you know, on Monday, my Playdate lights up with a little LED and and a little badge on the screen telling me there's new games to play. And I'm like, oh. And you open little, what, little what, purple little, beacon. Little presents. You open little presents, too. Uh, yeah. It has this beautiful little animation where a robot unwraps your gift, which is each new game. It's adorable. And the sound is perfect. I mean, the personality. My... The lock animation is our eyeballs waking up, like when it, you you wake it from sleep. There's a lot of little things. Like yeah, you have that. to press it I twice, can't... one for each eyeball. Oh yeah, I love like that. It's so cute. Yeah. But how many consoles have a personality? I think they really all try. Cute. I think they all think they're like, I'm a cool space bot. That okay. welcome I to my. We did. I, I think <laughs> the we, we had the a we personality. Did. I was going to say it hasn't really. Nothing's really been there for me since the Play It Loud era of the Game Boy, when you get the like bright green or yellow <laughs> or orange Game Boy. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. The we the we had some personality. Uh, I think Nintendo's always been a torch yeah. carrier for that. Like, you know, you, if you had a 3ds when you downloaded a game on there it had an almost sort of similar thing where like the the game would show up as a little wrapped package on your home screen and then you'd tap it to unwrap the thing so like there's there's that whimsy on the nintendo side this feels like it's learned a lot of lessons from like you remember how nintendo used to be fun yeah well i think playstation wants you to feel like like oh i'm in a cool spaceport and here's all my space objects and it's like no it's just kind of an obnoxious ui but uh Mm-hmm. I think they think they have personality, but not like this, where it's fun and cute. Yeah, I'll also give a shout out to it would have been very easy for them to do a season of games and like lock it down. But the it's very easy to add third party games, um, mm-hmm. which we'll yeah. talk about. But like it's it's a both. You get the season stuff for free and, and you can add easily. Yeah. Um, it, it was an incredibly easy experience to sideload. So I just want to get like they didn't have to do that. Yeah, that's and, and I'm really glad they did. They're also working on like um I forget what they're calling it like the uh uh I'm blanking on the word they call now. it catalog catalog yeah marketplace working on a, yeah. a catalog app to not as an app store but as a directory of here's how you can find good games and I think mm-hmm. that will really improve kind of that day one experience. I think the mm-hmm. one critique I have of the season model is that when you first are able to start up your device, you have two games. Uh, and I think that while they picked good games for it, that I think that it should be, they should have had more at the start just to, mm-hmm. I think that would make it a more fun like week one is people. six games, and then every other week even is two four. games. Even four, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. four. Yeah, games I think a lot of people enough. bounced off of like. Um, we will talk about the games, but like the first week was Whitewater, uh, Wipeout, and Casual Birder, and um, uh, like I ended up quite enjoying Whitewater, Wipeout, and mm-hmm. not being as into Casual Birder. I know other folks were the opposite, but certainly there's going to be folks out there for whom neither of those games is their thing, and then you going to be waiting a week for something new exactly um, and that's not a, not all that fun um you know the the, the out-of-the-box experience on something like you know a brand new playstation or whatever like you know you're hopping on the store to pick something yourself whereas this it's like you know you get what you get um which is not bad i still like that model but yeah that first week did you know it, maybe it gels for you maybe it doesn't but it is still just two games yeah uh, i'm curious uh before we get into specific games um What's the overall vibe folks are getting from playing games on this? Like, how how are you enjoying gaming on the play date? 
I've been really enjoying it. And I think both in season one and in the games that are currently available for sideloading, there's a pretty good variety of games that are really good for, you know, you pick up the playdate for 30 seconds, a couple minutes and and just play a little bit. Um, as well as some that are longer narratives and I might play for like an hour or so. Um, and that at both ends, I've been really enjoying it. Um, I think the, the thing that has been a common theme among especially the season of games is there is almost a complete lack of <laughs> instructions on how mm-hmm. to play most of the games. Bafflingly zero. Yeah, and it's it's the whitewater wipeout that uh, Reagan mentioned. Like, it feels utterly impenetrable at first, and everyone that I've handed the playdate to to try it because they, if I brought it somewhere, someone's been like, "That looks so cool," and they want to play with it. And then they try that and they've all felt really dumb and just like, I guess I'm bad at games. But at, at least it says get cranking. What a doubt I've tried to use the crank, but yeah. yeah. But yeah. honestly, until I looked it up for this podcast, I did not know the D-pad was involved in that game. Oh, it really? You, and I didn't gives realize you that. hints like when you, when you die at the end of uh, the game, like – it gives you a little hint of like a thing you can do or shouldn't do, but there's no way to see. You might the... play it dozens of times before seeing that. Yeah. yeah, And there's no way to even see the ones that they have shown you. If like they wanted it to be, you get this information slowly. Like there, I, I think just like give people even just an optional screen of like tips or something mm-hmm. like the, I, the game where you're going back and forth in time with the crank. I, I only spent a couple minutes, but I was like, I truly have no idea what's going on in this game. And what, and what <laughs> That's I'm, one of my favorites, Kraken's yeah. Time Travel Adventure. That's yeah. Kita Takahashi's game. It's yeah. amazing. But yeah, no, I know what you Once mean. Once you it's, know what you're doing. Once you know what you're doing, yeah. I, I, that's been my experience with it is that I've really enjoyed the games I've taken the time to dig into. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've had a couple bounce-off moments with some of the games, too, where I'm like, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Yeah. Um, and whatever, <laughs> I'll... You know, I'll I'll pick up something else because I don't care that much to dig into all of them. I have been. Um, I mean, it wasn't exactly a surprise for me, but like the the I in playing games on the playdate, I'm mostly gravitated towards the um, very short session, more arcade style type of games, things mm-hmm. like puzzle games or things like the wipeout game, whitewater wipeout. Or, or things where, like, you know, it is a uh, short, defined play session. There are a number of games on the playdate that uh, have more of a, like, story, like a like a longer story. And and these those also work fine for me uh, if they're, you know, like the story is connective tissue between little short experiences, like, you know, like a, a story mode in a puzzle game, that kind of thing. That, that works really well for me. Um, we'll see how this goes down the road because there are a lot more games coming this season and a lot more variety. But but for me, the playdate is, like, a really fun little thing to get out for a second and play like a little, uh, you know, round of something rather than something where I'm going to be playing like uh, lengthy story experiences. Um, it's interesting from that perspective. I'm kind of interested to see more things like visual novels on here because it is just such a unique screen and like a unique experience of like reading on the thing. Like I've, I've um, we'll talk about some of them in a minute, but I've played some things or tried some things that are trying to do things like just present, uh, you know, motion comics 
on the Playdate screen. That's interesting. You know, it, it's not a bad device for that stuff, um, but it, it's immediately magnetic for me as just sort of like a high score, uh, you know, fidget thing. And I keep saying this, like it is yellow. It is something I don't mind having <laughs> out. I have it on a stand to use as a clock. So it is much more likely for me to pick up and play mm. for a minute or two yeah. than a long session. That's also just because I'm quite frequently moving and I don't have time to do other than games for the show. I don't have that, you know, time to sit and think that much. So I'm really enjoying it as like, it is rare for a console to be both a good toy and a good long-term gaming yes. thing. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. I'm enjoying that I can play as long as I want and I'm happy with it for two minutes and I'm happy with it for 30 or an hour. And that's, that's usually not the case. Mm-hmm. Not since like iPhone has that been. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, we are all at slightly different points, but when it comes to the season one playdate games, uh, we have a number that we've all played. Uh, I think Laura has a few that I won't have seen, Um, but I thought we could go through those in the order in which they've come out. If you are avoiding spoilers, uh, I've seen a lot of people get up in arms about spoilers (laughs) for the playdate or like spoilers about uh, upcoming games. Um, and, you know, fair enough, like if you want to be surprised by the games, that is kind of part of the experience, um, then maybe don't listen to these. I can just sort of give you a general, hey, they're fun. Uh, and you maybe come back and listen to this portion later. Uh, we're going to start by talking about the games in season one that we've all that were that we've gotten a chance to check out. Um, and then at the end, we'll talk a little bit about some of those games that are uh, that were still very early days, but a number of developers have created games for the Playdate using the free tools that Panic has made available and published them online on their own websites or mostly on itch.io where you can download them either for free or for a handful you know for a couple of bucks um, and then load them onto your playdate yourself so we're going to talk about some of those games that uh, we've checked out from the side loading side of things as well so um talking about season one uh, we already mentioned it but the first game that you get on your playdate is whitewater wipeout by chuhai chuhei labs uh what I had a weird first experience with this one. I think a lot of people did. But uh, what were your impressions of Whitewater Wipeout? My initial feeling was just really frustrated with it just because I couldn't (laughs) figure out what to do. And like the first few times I played it, I think my high score was like eight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's emphasis on the Wipeout. Again, this is the first game I played and I you're just it just says get cranking and then you almost immediately just die. (laughs) And it's like gnarly or like you suck or it's really mean. Loser. Yeah. Bad job. I, I had a very similar experience, um, but I was slightly prepared for this because I had heard that this was based on the surfing game from California Games, which is a popular game that from the like late 90s or maybe early, I'm not even sure, sometime in the 90s. It was on the Atari Lynx, but all, I'd never had a Lynx, but it was also on everything. There was a port for the NES and everything. I so think I had I, that I, game, Reagan, and that remind like I remember as I was playing this, I was like, I could not put my finger on it, but I remember playing a surfing game in early on the Nintendo that was horrible. It was incredibly, di- it was incredibly. <laughs> Obviously, difficult you just to play. didn't know how to play it. Yeah. Same experience with Whitewater Wife. Yeah, but I was like, <laughs> but six. like this is basically that, but with the crank as a control instead of a D pad, and um, I think it's I think it's a nice port, sort of of that uh, of that kind of idea. Um, it reminded me a lot of like the very first time that I played. Uh, you know, listeners of this show will remember like how much I love 
uh, Alto's Adventure and Alto's Odyssey. Um, and the very first time I played those games, I was like, this is crap. I don't get it. I'm doing something wrong. I feel like I'm landing these jumps correctly, but I'm falling on my face. Nothing's working. You know, this sucks. Um, but for some reason, I kept going back to it. And eventually, I like 100%ed both of those games and was like completely obsessed with them for years and still boot them up from time to time. Um, and I had a, uh, no, I'm not going to say I'm going to be playing um, Whitewater Wipeout in, you know, eight years, but I have had a similar early arc with this because like, once you figure out what it's actually asking you to do, it's really fun. It's like a very physical thing. And the crank is brilliant for it. I think maybe the reason that they chose this as one of the you know first two games um, is that it is a it feels like a really natural use of the crank because it's not it's not like just like turning the crank to activate something or do something like it's it's literally using your the position of your crank and the, the position of your crank mirrors the angle that your surfboard is at so if you want to do a you know a spin you are spinning the crank exactly 360 degrees if you want to angle the crank the the surfboard a little to the right you twist the crank by about that many degrees and you get a very one-to-one um, response between the position of the crank and the position of the surfboard. Um, it feels great. And once you get your head around it, it's really fun to try for high scores in this thing. Yeah. Once you get that, like it's actually pretty delicate and incredibly responsive. I think that's the thing is you don't know how responsive the play date is if this is your first game. And so you like, you know, it's kind of like when I learned how to drive on like an old suburban, like I thought that every car needed like three rotations of the wheel. (laughs) And then I got in a normal car and I was like, okay. And it was like (laughs) doing donuts. (laughs) And it was like, what is this car doing? It's responding to me way too much. And that's how I acted when I got the play date, like the wipeout, I like immediately cranked and just, just basically turned the surfboard over. And I was trying to go in a straight line. You immediately flop. And I immediately flop. And the game doesn't, isn't like, you don't know how to use a crank yet. Um, because there's not a lot of instructions. And once you figure that out, um, you realize it's a very sensitive, um, input mechanism. Um, mm-hmm. I hope people try it and like have patience because even though we're saying this, you will still pick that up and fail because you are not used to using the hardware. Like it, I can tell you this, you can read it a million times. You can, it will happen to you regardless of how smart you are. You've got to kind of get a feel for the the tool and it's a new input device you have to learn. It, it's more relevant tech example is like think about the people who used iPhones like they did like the consoles you do at museums where you have to like press really hard mm-hmm. like you use it like an ATM screen and people were like pounding the iPhones back in the day as like, someone who sold iPhones in the you know, yeah, in stores same. in the first few years I can absolutely co- corroborate yeah. that and this <laughs> is the same thing with the crank just like, could not use a touch screen you, you, you're afraid that like you're gonna rotate it off or like that it needs a lot of pressure like you're going to do this wrong the first time. So I'm really glad this is the, one of the first games. I wish it was just kind of like a little less mean while you it were is. learning about it. it. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, I like but, that. Yeah, I one, think it's funny. It's very, you know, it's surf rock. I think know? it's that. But yeah. I, I could see people bouncing off of it. Though. Yeah. Should we all share our high scores? Oh, it's like 80. I didn't play that much very long. I don't know. All right. Yeah, Reagan. Pull mine up this is Reagan just wants to This share. is just Reagan bragging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you, you, know you Did you beat my score, Reagan? I don't think so. I was looking for an apartment. I did not. Play I was gonna. I was gonna let you uh, annihilate me live on air. But here, I'll tell you what it is. Um, oh, hang on. How do I get to the high score screen here? There it is. Uh, I, my high score is one hundred and fifty thousand six hundred and forty-two. Jesus, which Christ. I'm still pretty proud of. Yeah. See, um, 
but that was you know three good runs uh back to back that i was i was quite proud of um but uh i know mark has <laughs> annihilated me uh mine is 398,794 what no you went even you went even higher <laughs> i thought you were 200 no, no. mark no <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that, gotta that. be. You've gotta be considering the market of this game. Like, you've gotta be in the like leaderboards, like top no, ten. The, oh the no, there's an online are... leaderboard for this. I, as so far, I think it's the only game I've seen that uses an online leaderboard, and it's in the millions. And, yeah, oh, there are, oh. there's some people out there doing. Um, I assume hacks, yeah. <laughs> cheating, like a little robot uh, that just knows how to do nine hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> So, something wild tony um, tony hawks out there <laughs> so, so the other game in week one was casual birder and this was the game i was actually most excited about uh for the first few weeks i didn't end up actually enjoying it that much but i know like it, it's cute um uh, but i think maybe other folks have had a better experience with it than i did uh, i just ended up spending so much time uh with whitewater wipeout that i didn't end up putting enough time into casual birder but um did anybody get uh you know take a lot of bird photos no, but I will say I was immediately surprised that someone was like that even effort was being made into making like little RPG story experiences in a game or on Playdate, which would will continue to happen. Apparently, um, I was fully expecting this to be 100 percent like Whitewater Wipeout and things like that just 100 percent of the time. And so having these little story games is nice. Uh, casual Birder itself. I did not really spend much time with. Well, Mark, I think you spent a little more time with it. Can you tell us about a casual birder? <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel like as the bird correspondent here, I, I it was my <laughs> my my civic duty, Your um, responsibility. Thank you, Mark. Um, I thought that the like tone and the like story and writing for it was I thought was spot on. Uh, it was it's just really funny writing uh i really liked the art style for it it feels very akin to like an early pokemon game um and the birds that you were taking photos of uh i was incredibly charmed by their names um where i can like recognize what bird that this is modeled on but has a mangled name like uh i think my favorite was uh instead of a great blue heron it's a sweet blue herman which is <laughs> just one of the best things i've ever heard of um, uh, the bonker bellied tree tapper which yeah. i think is just a woodpecker yeah exactly nice. where it's just like all the descriptions of the birds it's just like i don't know just the the tone of it i it really resonated for me um i'll say that like the mechanic of using the crank to focus the camera on the birds i thought was fine i it was kind of hard to get the hang of and it doesn't feel having used an slr camera a lot it does not feel at all relevant like related to the what it is like to focus a lens um Mm -hmm. and so that was just kind of hard i think it's the case of like having enough information to like be overthinking it it might be more fun if you're not trying to apply that logic, but yeah, I was a little surprised that they did the um, the like crank to focus when like I don't know I'm old enough to have used um, you know manual film advance mm-hmm. uh, cameras where there was an actual crank not that different from the one on the Playdate and that's right there. 
Um, and I, I was expecting it to be more like that. Mm. Um, the, I, the crank to focus mechanic very quickly became a frustration for me because yeah. like there's a, there's some early on, there's a bird I was trying to photograph. I'm not sure if maybe I was getting ahead of things or sort of jumping to, you know, something later game or something. Cause it's pretty open in terms of the, the, the world. Um, but I, I spent a long time trying to get a photo of this bird that was just sort of flying from it's one really tree fast. to another. Yeah. You it need really, something it else very later fast, in the game. Sort of randomly. And I was able, was able to eventually get a photo of it, but it was really hard to line up the shot and, focus it and essentially you're trying to capture a bird in flight that's moving around sort of randomly from tree to tree um i was by the end of that i was like man this is a this is a misguided mechanic um the 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 like crank and it's like i get that like you know they wanted to use the crank um i would have preferred uh that well i would have preferred that particular bird hold the fuck still i guess (laughs) um Maybe I'm thinking of a different one, but uh, there there is at least one that you do need a a later game item to photograph. I might have just I might have just I mean I did eventually get the photo, okay. but I might you know maybe there was like maybe there's some bird seed I could have thrown on the ground there and made <laughs> myself had a lot better time and I just missed it. That's the other thing about it was that like it 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 was a lot of fun in the early chunk of the game when it's like introducing the story and characters and mechanics to you and it's very jokey and cute and then it kind of turns you loose on the open world and I just didn't really know what to do next. Um, and that was sort of where I fell off of it. Where it's like I sort of started wandering around and. Um, you know, I, I I didn't feel like I had a lot of forward momentum at that point. Um, so I think this is this is a nice short little uh, photography RPG, which is something we don't get a lot of. Like you get a little bit of Pokemon, a little bit of Pokemon Snap mixed together here. Um, and I love the way it looks. It's just great looking. And so I can totally see why they put this first. Um, but like there are other games that came a little later in the season that I think do most of the things I liked about Casual Bird or better. So we'll talk about those in a minute. Um, but this was not my favorite. Probably, um, uh, yeah, well, second least favorite of the six games from the season I managed to try so far. But anyway, um, I still think Casual Birder is worth a try. And hey, bird content. Uh, but, you know, eh, I'm, I'm a little I'm a little on Casual Birder. I mean, I played maybe two minutes of casual birder, but I was in the middle of apartment hunting. And then honestly, my season one and season two, my week one and week two were two days apart. And uh, then the mascot game, basically the one that was the platform seller and all the ads came out. And I immediately like basically that meme of the the guy and the girl, like I basically like mm, head yeah. turned. It was like cranking, like moving on to cranking time travel adventure. Um, so I was like, I also knew that my brethren would cover the bird content. So I was <laughs> I was happy to forge ahead to you, the puzzle game. Do you want to talk about, uh, we can move on to that one. Do you want to introduce Kranken? Yeah. So um, a- another one that will be completely mystifying when you start, there are no instructions. <laughs> um, if they just gave a little bit of instruction, I think this would be, um, this is an extra special game. And I think it would have been an easy sell had they just been like, this is how the puzzle works um, a little up front. Um, but the idea is that uh, you have um, Kranken, this little robot uh, kind of looks like a, is it the Michelin man with the stacks of tires? I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, with a little hat that is almost like the little filter on his head. But uh, you're snoozing, you wake up, you realize that you're late for a date and you quickly turn the crank to go forward 
uh, and your girlfriend's pissed. And then you wake up again and you're going through these dates and then you notice there's obstacles in your way and you must go forward and back in time to get around the obstacles to get to these dates that you will always be late for. Uh, And every single date, um, each level is a day in the life of Kranken and Kranken's inability to wake up or attend a date on time. But um, basically it's a lot of like, for example, there's a flower and when you ever you pass a flower, crank him will bend over and smell the flower. And your first instinct is going to be just to like move the crank as fast as possible to just move him fast and get to the date. However, an obstacle comes by at head height. You need to go back in time till you're bent over again for that obstacle to pass over your head. So it's it's a I say it's a puzzle game. It's a very light puzzle. It's a puzzle game and like a physics puzzler. It's not ragdoll, but it's got that. Yeah, I would same, call it like, like puzzle action. Yeah. It's, it's mostly about execution uh, yeah. once you figure out what you need to do. Yeah. And then it's just making sure you do it and do all the actions in the right order as quickly as possible. So very linear, hmm. um, very much like I, I would call this a survival game, but it feels so <laughs> silly because it's so slow stakes. Like the the mechanic is like your girlfriend gets pissed and breaks up with you. Like that's the survival. I love that depending on how fast you're able to complete each level, she has different angry animations. Mm. And yes. like if you if you get there, uh, you know, you're late, but not super late. She like, I think slaps you. And then if you're a little later than that, she like kicks you in, in the, the crotch, crotch or something. Yep. She kicks and then if balls. you're really late, she suplexes you. <laughs> it's so funny. If I got you're too late, she lot. just and isn't there. So you have yeah. to. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. I don't think I've ever been that late. And the, um, the best thing about this game, though, I will say, is the sound design. <laughs> it's so juvenile and perfect. And that's, uh, oh, yeah. I, I won't say any more than that. But like, do yourself a favor, like do not listen to a podcast while playing this game, like t- crank that volume up and hear all the weird noises in beautiful, uh, weird little speaker mode. It is. Yeah, this really is one to push sh- headphones on for it. Re- partially just not to drive other people in your household insane. Um, <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> uh, you're going to hear the levels a lot because it's, yes. it's a little tricky. Yeah. Um, it is. It's such a fascinating game. Personally, I... I feel like this one, the game design builds in more of the like explanation of how to play it just through those, like Mm there will be a level Mm -hmm. where it introduces a new, like the first level, I don't think there's anything you just crank and you're over to the, to crank at or whatever her name is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then the, and then like the next one just introduces a flower and then the next one, the flower you actually are now using it. And so the levels build on each other in that way where it's like the frustration of the puzzle and the, you are given the information somehow of like, what can you do and how to solve this? You have all the answers, but it's often very hard to do it properly or Mm -hmm. to figure out exactly how to put those pieces together. Um, And yeah, the sound design is really just wild. I kind of wish that it had, like some original music or something. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's just silent until you hear like the most horrible voices <laughs> saying things like ew <laughs> or like squelching sounds or yeah. the oinking of pig. Why are there so many damn pigs in this game? There's so many pigs. The I mean this is spoilers, but um level nine where 
you just yeah it's <laughs> there is a moment where like i just like fell over laughing and just yeah i was gonna say don't spoil i i made a face because mark was gonna spoil i was like no don't say it. it's such a good joke and that's why i wanted to call it the sound design is essentially that day yeah <laughs> i had so much fun with that and uh, i don't know how far you guys are but i'm i'm somewhere in like 18 or 19 and by by the time you get kind of deep into the game the the you know the dates are very difficult and so um it still has that sort of pick up and play because each quote-unquote date is like a pretty short thing if you're able to complete it but like it's great to be able to like pull this out try once or twice most likely fail come back to it again so it, it is sort of you know it's a bigger game uh it's not something like white, white or wipeout where it is essentially just like resetting every time. And, you know, just a pure high score experience. It does have separate levels, but it's, it's really the kind of thing I hope we see more of on play date, which is like nice, short little sessions, little, little experiences that is easy to quickly jump into and, and play, but part of a larger thing. And I, I think this is just like the ideal play date game, honestly, like um, Kate Takahashi just like absolutely got it, you know? Yeah. Like, 100% knows what the play date is for, I think, um, and really nailed it with this one. That's, I think, also, you know, not just the fact that he's such a high profile uh, developer and kind of a good get for this, but like he he got it. He's, you know, he, he understood how to how to design for this weird device. Um, and they paired it with, I'm not going to be mad, but like they paired it with one of the like games I had no interest in. So I was like, this is this is wonderful. Good pairing. Yeah. yeah, I was not at all interested in Boogie Loops either. I, I could kind of not figure it, it out. Around. No, I, it's just um, a- I, I really tried to give it a shot. Me and too. It was Me just too. entirely impenetrable of I I'm not sure mm-hmm. what the game. I don't know that it's a game. I'm not sure. It's a music what, sequencer. It's yeah. A music- so I really, I really wanted to like get into it. There is no manual for this, and this is probably the one thing that could have used a manual more than anything else. <laughs> I will, I will say for the folks who are you know maybe about to get a playdate or maybe just you know are trying out boogie loops or maybe you bounced off of it. Um, the playdate community wiki, which is a pretty good website, has an unofficial manual for boogie loops, and it's just like a page long and kind of explains what everything is and how it works. Um, you know, basically what it is is a uh, it's a you know, it's a four track um, uh, tracker, like a music tracker, which is like a, you know a music creation tool where you're laying down notes on on tracks and it's looping through them. Um, uh, it's kind of you know cute extra feature is that there's also uh, animated characters uh, like a panda or a cactus or a pizza slice. Uh, that do dances along with your music uh, and you can program their dances in a similar kind of way to the way that you program the music and the tracker. So if you're, you know, the kind of person who wants to poke around with a music creation toy, uh, this is, seems like a pretty interesting or or decent one of those. Um, But it's also like, kind of like just dropping somebody into like pro tools or something (laughs) with no context. Yeah. I, I really wanted, I was like, Ooh, a music tracker. This I think appeals to me. I enjoy these sorts of things. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make a little track and I'm going to put it on the episode. And then I spent like 10 minutes. I was like, I don't really know what this wants me to do. And I didn't pick it back up. So, uh, I I mean, I I thought this was maybe like teenage engineering is that they're, um, their little devices often will have little cute animations at the top as well. And so I thought that was probably, this is a nod to that. Um, But it was kind of incomprehensible to me on how exactly to use it. Like I could tell what's going on. I could tell what it's doing, 
but going in and like making something different and unique, I just, I could not really wrap my mind around what it wanted me to do. And I put it down, but I, I like the idea. You know, I think it's fun to have a little, the thing is a nice speaker, pretty good processor. You can make some good stuff with it, but I don't know. Don't make it easier for us to use it, I guess. Just please give me a manual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of like that. That's something I, I, I tweeted at panic about this when I, when boogie loops first, <laughs> dropped, and I was like, Hey, is there documentation for this anywhere? Uh, is there a manual for boogie loops or any of the other games? And they were like, that's a great idea. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> you can, uh, you know, you can check out some playthroughs on YouTube where people will explain it. And I was like, yes, I, I'm aware YouTube exists. Thank you. Plant panic. Um, <laughs> But like, yeah, th- there is there is community documentation of this stuff if you go and go looking for it. So, you know, and I, I didn't see this unofficial Boogie Loops manual until like sitting down to record this podcast. Now that it, I'm seeing it here, I may go give this thing another try. It is pretty neat. So I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd like to get better at it, but I'll have to give it, it, a, it I'll have to give it another shot. Yeah. Um, the, ne- the third week of uh, and I'm still on week three of the drops here. The third week was my favorite so far. And the two games that dropped uh, this Monday for me uh, were Lost Your Marbles and Pick Pack Pup. Um, I want to talk about Pick Pack Pup first because it's <laughs> my favorite thing on the playdate by a very long shot so far. Um, I'm not sure if other folks feel the same, but Pick Pack Pup uh, from uh, Nick Magnier, Arthur Hammer, and Logan Gabriel uh, is a match three puzzle game, basically. Um, but it's like a really well-designed match three puzzle game that takes into account a lot of the things that make the play date work. Um, it barely uses the crank. Uh, like it has the, it has a sort of um, uh, a frame story where you are a dog working for a dog Amazon equivalent. <laughs> Uh, and your job is to pack boxes. And so the, the match three mechanic is you're matching items to go into boxes uh, and shipping those boxes out. Um, and uh, uh, it's just it's just a really decent, it's like a good uh, match three puzzle game. It's fairly small in terms of like size of the play field. So there's like not a huge number of items on screen at any given point. Um, and it has a really, really good story mode. Um, the reason I mentioned the the crank thing it, in the story mode, you're playing as that dog, and it has these like comic sequences in between mm-hmm. uh, like sets of levels where you use the crank to sort of turn pages or scroll through the story comic, uh, which is very cute and funny. You know, you're a long suffering dog working for Amazon, being being uh, abused. Um, it's cute and funny, but. Uh, it doesn't really use the crank at all during gameplay. It's just using the D-pad and buttons. Um, uh, but it's uh, what really stuck out to me about the story mode on this, and I haven't put a lot of time into the other modes, but I'm really glad it has them. The story mode is just a rapid fire of different challenges. So each level of the story mode, um, it'll give you different little challenges to try. Like, okay, this time we really want you to only pack boxes that have you know uh, five uh, items in them, or we want you to uh, only create boxes around the edges of the play field, or we really want you to match this one specific item. And it's got dozens of levels, each with its own very specific little challenge. That's, there's a ton of variety um, in the types of items that appear, in the types of challenges. Uh, and it's just really, really well done, really well implemented. 
Um, I've spent way more time with Pick Pack Pup than I have with anything else on the play date yet. And I think it's definitely my favorite thing there so far. I haven't had a chance to dig in on this one yet. Um, I have spent much more time um, on the other game that came out this week, um, but I am excited to play Pick Pack Pup. What a fun title to say. Yeah, it's really delightful. Yeah. Um. I in, I enjoyed the story mode for it. I think it is like a nicely done match three, and I like the satire Amazon dog story. <laughs> um, for me, it was some. It was less of a standout game, but I think that might just be I am not as much wanting to play a match three game. This <laughs> is probably just more mm. of that. I think See, it's a really I good really am like something it. when I want to, you know, a little handheld to like quickly take out and just like put a mm-hmm. little bit of time into something match three or other like puzzle games like this are exactly what I was looking for. A match yeah. three without the match three bullshit of a mm, candy crush. Like, yeah, like, like the back when you paid two ninety nine for a match three, that's about the time I stopped playing them because like all the extra crud sucks. So I am happy for like a match three that doesn't have ads in it. <laughs> like, yeah, but like I'll still like today um, grab my I like literally here within reach. I have my uh, Sega Game Gear with Puyo Puyo two, uh, like ready to go with batteries charged because I like to just pull something out that plays a nice basic puzzle game like that. And, um, you know, it's an itch that I frequently need to scratch. And I was so glad to have something that like is actually a good one of those here. And it's not a clone. It's like, it's a full on, it's, it's, it's really well tailored to the play date. Um, while still not, it's not like, like, I, I think I would have, um, not been too happy if it had like really shoehorned the crank in. It uses it tastefully, I think. It would be really hard to make a crank. Like, I don't know what you'd do, like crank to tape the boxes or something. Um, it would have would have been annoying. But like, this is like a really, really well done one of these. Um, it's just unique enough. It's just familiar enough. It's it's lovely. I just, I just love this one. Um, somebody tell me more about Lost Your Marbles because I played maybe the first like four or five like big areas of this. And um, I was kind of enjoying it, um, but I didn't get much farther than that. So uh, who's who's played some Lost Your Marbles? Well, I've spent a little bit of time with it. I don't know how far I am into it, but um, it's it's one of those games where they have a fun mechanic that I think uses the crank uh, pretty effectively and then also decided to wrap it in a truly bonkers, goofy <laughs> story. Mm-hmm that I I really appreciate when someone does this is the, the mechanic of this game is, um, you know, there's been other video games that do this, but I always think of this like an old physical toy that maybe some of you had where it's like a, uh, like a marble maze where the marbles on the outside and you want it to get maybe into the center, into a hole or into some sort of divot sort of thing. And you're just, moving the 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 toy around trying to manipulate the marble into sliding into the center hole or whatever it may be am i explaining that correctly does it, did you all have these as kids yeah Ooh. yeah okay they so, infuriated me i could not stand those games. <laughs> <laughs> so that's this game but instead of you know a, a physical thing in front of you you have um the crank where you're actually shifting the world as a as a ball is moving around and I think it's a good, smart use of the crank. You know, you've got um, a, a sort of like platforming level in front of you, a ball that rolls depending on which way you 
move the world with the crank and your goal is to get it to somewhere. They very well could have just made a good, complicated puzzle game built off of this sort of rolling the ball mechanic. But they instead also decide to make this really bizarre and really silly story uh, where a your, your character has <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. You 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 basically I don't you're wanna, interning. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much either. But you're you're interning with a mad scientist basically who has invented a time machine. But that's in the scrap heap because that wasn't that cool. Has invented a shrink ray. That's now in the tiny uh, scrap heap. <laughs> Uh, for obvious reasons and their new thing is called the marbleizer which is a like decision making tool that you connect to your head and it it will give you the answers to things and so the very first one you do you roll the ball and you have to hit a like there are these little like glass balls. ball yeah bulbs that are all around and if you break the bulb that's the answer so the first one is like a really crazy like what's the average temperature of somewhere in venezuela or something like that something you would never know and when you get into the game you break the the bulb and it gives you the answer and you know it now so that's like how this tool is supposed to work that you can use it to know things that you should not know hijinks ensue and (laughs) your dog is now missing and you're on a quest to find your dog and you are just going from town spot to town spot uh, being prompted with decisions and solving them using this truly silly marbleizer, um, which is half broken, which like is that's that, the yeah. butt of the yeah. game. Yeah. So like you're going to, you know, one of the first ones you, your dog's missing. So you decided to go to the library to create a, uh, like a dog a lost missing poster, a yeah. missing poster. Right. And, um, you're in the little game with all the, the, um, you're where you're controlling the marble and there's multiple bulbs and it's like, what should, what kind of paper should this, uh, poster be on? And there'll be bulbs all around. And you know, the bulb that I ended up hitting three times to break it was sandwich paper. <laughs> no sandwich <laughs> wrapper, sandwich wrapper, <laughs> like saran yeah. wrap, like yeah. ah. sandwich wrapper. Whereas yeah. I found a hidden little room underneath mm-hmm. and I got thick cards. Oh, so yeah, I had a greasy, oh. there's a like specifically a greasy sandwich wrapper. And then like, and it's next, like, what do you want the boaster to say? And mine just says help real big. And then what, <laughs> what kind of picture should be on it? And I got a close up. And then when it's all done in the, you know, in this nice little screen, you see the wanted poster that you've created, which for me was a greasy sandwich wrapper that said help across the top and a really close up picture of the dog's face. So just like the eyes, mouth and nose. And it's really funny. Yeah. And the whole game is this weird decision making thing where you're playing the weird marble game in order to make decisions. It's it's often those sort of like there's going to be multiple outcomes and you are like crafting the narrative off of whatever bulbs you break within the game. There's often like normal answers and then super wacky ones. And I think like, it seem like the normal ones are harder to achieve. Yes. Like they're, they're, mm-hmm. you know, so um, I think it's like this. One of the things that really surprised me about this is that like you, it feels like it's trying to set you up that like 
here's there's a right answer here. Yeah. And you need to avoid breaking the bulbs for any of the wrong answers and try and seek out the right ones. But in many of them, maybe there was a quote unquote right answer, but it was hidden. But like all of the available bulbs seem like wacky. They answers. were all bad answers. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's um, so it's mostly yeah. just like like. And, and it plays like a visual novel. So it's not like, you know, you're like, if you don't get the right one, then, you know, if you put together that greasy sandwich paper uh, poster, um, you're still probably going to find your dog in the end. It's it's just setting up a joke. Um, so it's not something where it's like you, you know, you're going to want to like restart the game because you missed the correct uh, bulb. It's mostly just like you, you know, if you fail, you get weird jokes. And if you are, you know, if you're really dead on accurate, um, you get maybe a different joke. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll say um, I played through the game and you might notice that like there's a as you go between locations, you see a little map of the town and you do not go to all those locations as you play through. Um, that is because this does have branching stories depending on what your answers are. Um, oh, I didn't realize. So you can like you could play through it a bunch of times and meet different characters. Uh, and so the answers you get do matter and being it like the second time i had a lot more <laughs> a lot more skill with it so i was yeah. able to get something totally different than my initial uh poster was sandwich uh cling wrap uh that said is this you uh, with a picture <laughs> of a dog's butt so <laughs> well uh, i i it's really really funny i started yeah, to think that must super be like funny i was thinking that must be the case mark because um uh, my sandwich, which was uh, a sandwich of protein powder, um, lettuce, and hot wax, the uh, <laughs> the dog did not like that. So I, but it, it kind of just the way it was written, it made me think like I bet I could, and the ingredients that I saw in the you know in the game, I was like I bet I could have made a sandwich that the dog would have liked. Yeah, and it it seemed like there was an opportunity there for me to succeed, and I clearly failed i think it was the hot wax that really made it <laughs> yeah i like, really carried it over you know, the edge mm-hmm. yeah i well the, i think it's yeah. interesting like this being a structurally it's a visual novel like typically in a visual novel you're just making these choices yourself here you're like leaving them up to like your chance and your skill at rolling a ball it's a really strange <laughs> hybrid thing but um i think it works for a low stakes comedy story like this like you know, throwing chaos into this story um, improves it rather than detracting from it. I think so. I I, yeah. I, I, I like this a lot. Uh, the The thing that really carried me through the part of this that I did play though is the uh, the art is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's it's full of these like visual novel style presentation character portraits where like you've got two people on screen talking to each other with an interesting background, and they get so much detail and like yeah. great character design out of the like one bit graphics it's really a it's a really good example of someone like knowing how to do one bit graphics i love pomegranate village yeah i love these weirdos it's it's just such a delightful story i think for me the like the game mechanic i as i've gotten the hang of it a little more it's been more fun but really it's something where it's like i'm loving this visual novel and the game is something that i'm so bad at that it feels more like the game exactly where it's just like i kind of just want the like the wacky hijinks and to hear all the stories and like now it's like okay what 
what options do I like? Which things do I have to get if I want to meet the final characters I haven't seen? <laughs> but it's yeah, there's a real like horse plinko feel sometimes to this game. Yeah. <laughs> so the last two that we're going to be able to talk about from the season are ones that I haven't played. So uh, uh, Mark, uh, Laura, uh, tell me how things are in the future. I. I'm obsessed with Flipper Lifter. <laughs> awesome. Good name. I have bar- I've only played it a tiny bit, so you can I haven't can even played one. the other game um, cool. because, I mean, it's it's Tuesday. I got it yesterday, so it's not as if mm. I've, I've had a week for it. But um, Flipper Lifter is a elevator simulation game <laughs> where you are controlling elevators to let penguins on and off at different floors. And the crank is... Uh, cranking the elevator to the floor you stop cranking enough time for the door to get open and penguins to get in and you try to move them down um these are not elevators where they you know where they're going prior to entering uh they do not hit an up or down button the penguins go in you have to figure out where they're going it is an arcade high score chase game you i think you have to get a score of 75 to get out of the tutorial and get but um this game is super fun and every level I've played so far has been a really different world. So first one's just a hotel. You're just going up and down. And as you get um, each penguin you correctly deliver to the right floor, gets you a little extra time on the clock. So you can keep going as long as you don't mess up. And if you um, keep a penguin waiting too long, if you hold them, the poor little penguin hijacked in the, the elevator cars you continue to deliver the other passengers. There's a, a little exclamation point that turns progressively, you know, counts down drains, yeah, drainer. And if it turns black, uh, that penguin will then uh, scream and stop the elevator and march off, and you can't move for like a couple seconds of penalty time. Um, as you get further and more and more um, levels, they'll add additional floors. To the building. So you might have three or four. The better your run is, the you might have like a 10-story hotel or something. And yeah. just keep adding levels. And then you have more places the poor little penguins would go. Um, but what I was really surprised at is after the tutorial, the other levels are different. There's mines where you need to go like sideways. And there's two different elevator shafts. Uh, there's a mountain where there's just a bird that will come and eat you if you like open the doors. <laughs> big ones will get eaten um i won't spoil the others but the calamities are funny and challenging and they make each level feel different which mm. is what i want in this kind of game is i want to like see how fast i can go on the mountain level versus the hotel versus the mine um so i i was just like this is my version of the whitewater wipeout i'm like this is nice. the game that like feels like a a little game that I know I'm going to spend way too much time playing. Um, it's and it's made cute. by Serenity Forge, who also, their other published game recently was uh, Doki Doki Literature Plus. So <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Um, I think, but, yeah, I think they're both a developer and a publisher. Yes, uh, and they publish. I don't publish know them. what they develop versus publish, but like they have a really big catalog. They do. Uh, but they made time for this, and I'm yeah. happy. I can't wait for this to come on my next update. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, Mark, oh, they played... did. Uh, they oh. also did uh, Where the Water Tastes Like Mine. They were publishers of that too. So. Oh. Um, Mark, have you played Echoic Memory? Yes, I've been playing a fair bit of it. Um, it is basically like a, what's the toy, like a 
Simon. Simon. Yeah, where it's like plays a sound clip and you're trying to match. Bop it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's something where, and it pretty quickly advances to the point where like you have a whole bunch of like rather than four options, you have 16 or whatever. Um, And then the like frequencies or speed of them gets scrambled. So you have to use the crank to adjust how fast each one's playing to try and figure out, is this the same thing that I'm hearing? Um, Mm. And it gets somewhat challenging. I think uh, it's been pretty fun. And it really is like the speaker on the play date is definitely put to good use with it just because you are really like hearing (laughs) fine details and differences in the music uh, is really important. But um, I think the the game mechanic of it is fine. It's like fun enough. Uh, I don't think that would grab me especially. But I also really like the story that's going on around it, similar to Lost Your Marbles, where it's just very zany and weird. Um, this one more in the kind of like surreal. <laughs> what is what? How are these uh, like Alexa type robots gaining sentience? What mm-hmm. is going on? Um, but I am invested in that story and excited to see where it goes. Um, I want to know how the boom boxes wreck. <laughs> the entire planet. Yeah. Just tell me. <laughs> but um, I think that it's uh, something where the, like, overall then the story of it is just really nicely done. I think similarly to Lost Your Marbles, the for me, the game mechanic is pretty fun, but it is not, like, I'm, I think I'm more, like, I am so sold on the story and I want to know more. But I am like, just kind of like, okay, another matching sound game. I'll play this level, but I kind of just want to know where the story is going to go. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait for that one too. And uh, I'm trying not to like spoil myself by looking too far ahead on the uh, the Playdate wiki here about all the other games that are, uh, that are coming. But I'm definitely looking forward to those and... We'll probably reconvene and talk about more of the rest of the uh, the season once the whole thing's out or some point down the road. Um, before we wrap up, uh, I know we're looking at a you know we're pretty pretty short on time here. Um, <laughs> but does anybody want to recommend any games that you've played via side loading? Anything in particular that you either downloaded from the Play to Development forums or itch.io or any other places that you know. Uh, where games have been available that are not part of the season. I haven't done much sideloading except for a Pycross game, but I am very intrigued that there is a Game Boy emulator called the Playboy that I want to play. Um, but that just have, happened at least I, a couple I of have to ago. disappoint you. I've oh, tried it doesn't it. work? Yeah, oh, I'm game, sorry. Well, it's, it, it's okay. Game Kid is what it's called, and it came out a little bit ago. Oh, um, no. There is a new one that came out two days ago called the Playboy. Oh, I'll have to try that one then. So that okay. might be a second one. There anyway. are some things. Um, yeah, It seems obvious that you'd want a Game Boy emulator on this thing, but there are some real compromises. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big one is obviously that, you know, the Game Boy had four shades of gray and the Playdate has just black and white. Ah. And so even though the screen is higher resolution, if you want to simulate those different shades of gray, um, it has to, um, you know, be able to have enough pixels per Game Boy pixel to simulate the different shades of gray. And it just doesn't quite fit, right? Mm. Like, it, um, so games either have to look stretched or miscolored. Um, and uh, also the the game kid that I tried, which is um, you know th- that emulator, uh, 
ran at much slower than correct speed. That's probably correctable. I don't know if the uh, this new emulator will be better at that, but like, I don't know. It wasn't ideal. I would not pick this game, this device up to play Game Boy games if you have another option. Um, mm-hmm. If you have a you know a, a 3DS or something, it's going to be way better as a Game Boy. Um, I think it would be neat to be able to play Game Boy games on here. And I, there probably are some Game Boy games that would play well on it given its constraints. Um, but like for me, like I was like, oh, I, I hope I can play. Um, uh, what is it? Um, uh, uh, Revenge of the Gator on here, and ah, nah, <laughs> didn't work for me. So um, I don't know. I'll revisit that in a little while, or maybe maybe once these things make some progress, and see if maybe some folks have found some clever workarounds. Um, anybody else have any other um, games that you've tried? I have a, I have quite a few, but I don't want to I don't want to uh, talk everyone's ears off first. Um, one that I really uh, loved was Bloom. Uh, which is like a, it's described as a real time, I would say real time ish, uh, like story where you are a girl named Midori who has dropped out of college and is starting a flower shop. And the whole game is told over just like text messages on her phone. Uh, and I think I was playing it early enough that there was a bug, uh, where I, the things happened faster than they were supposed to. Uh, so I played oh. through the whole thing in about a week, which it's supposed to take about a month. Um, so I think that that <laughs> it might be. That's might, actually an improvement in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's something where I really love the game. I think that the writing in it is really great. It feels like very realistic. Like it feels very real, all the characters to me and the different tones and voices that they have and also your character Midori that you're getting to know better and you have choices in how to respond to things but very often like the options might not be very good or things where it's like that I feel like no this is like uh or where you know she doesn't you don't get the option to reply because she's stressed out about something and it's like no please reply to this person (laughs) um Mm. and I think that's something where just the 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 vibe of the game with the music and the illustration and the character building of it like is all really really strong. Um I think there are a number of places where because because so much is working for me then the places where it falls down I'm especially disappointed because it has so much potential but um it's a you know you're running a flower shop and there's like a gardening mechanic but it's kind of entirely detached from the actual story of the game what you do in the garden doesn't seem to impact Mm. any of the story or things advancing you know when you are doing like client work or whatever and in the story they tell you you they are going to need hydrangeas it's not like you need to go and grow hydrangeas. That's not actually something that's connected where it's like, this feels like there are a lot of things that are like missed opportunities um, in that way uh, that could tie the different parts of the game together better Um, or like raising money. Like it doesn't matter. Like you're going to get to the end of the game, whether or not you plant any flowers is my Mm. (laughs) overall conclusion where it's like, this, this feels like it's interesting. Yeah, it it's something maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do need to do a certain amount, but if it if you do, 
there's no way of knowing that the flower stuff you did unlocked uh, parts mm. of the story. And so that's that's something which I think uh, I I wish was a little bit better. I think it is interesting to see this. Like that that is a little disappointing to hear, but it also is also sort of impressive on a scale level. From like this is this feels like I didn't get nearly as far as you did with it, but it feels like a pretty full you know game ass game, the kind of thing that you could potentially see as like a like a full Steam release or something. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe a budget Steam release or whatever, but like all indie games are, you know, pretty cheap. Um, and this was out very early. I think it came out the first week the Playdate was available and launch launching. So it's the first commercial Playdate game. Yeah. Um, selling for ten dollars on itch.io. Um and it's a pretty complete package. I, I I think it's very impressive to see. So like I I hope maybe they take a second pass at this, you know, or you know, refine it with time mm-hmm. because I don't think they could possibly have had um, like development hardware while they were working on it. They were probably working entirely in the simulator. And um, yeah, that's been a lot of the story. Like I, I'm on the uh, the Playdate Discord and <laughs> there's a ton of developers on there who are like, I've made this game, but I need somebody to play test, test it because I don't have hardware yet. Like people are excited to play around with the dev tools here, but are not like able to actually test on hardware. So it's very impressive to me that they put out such a complete you know, game. Yeah. Uh, with good writing week one of this weird dinky console, you know, <laughs> um, it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I, it gives me hope for the third party, um, development scene on the play date. Yeah. Um, anybody else have anything else they want to call out? Playtress is fun. <laughs> it's fun. Just having yeah. Tetris on, on the play date, rotating the I- blocks with a crank. I was really glad to see that that's like been very actively developed. Um, so like I had some complaints about the initial version and all of them have been addressed. Yeah. It's now a pretty competent Tetris game. And if you have like nitpicky preferences about how your Tetris should be, like there's options. You can set how big the the Tetris blocks are. You can turn on and off the music and things. You can decide whether it has hard drops or whether it has a grid over the pieces, that kind of thing. So um, like nice little Tetris and it seems to be continuing to be actively developed. My favorite of the uh, sideload games that I played was something called Bird and Beans, which is a uh, a port of a game called uh, Pioro or Bird and Beans, uh, just under that same name. That was originally a arcade style game that was part of a GBA WarioWare game that later when the DSi launched was one of the launch um, DSi downloadable titles on the DSi eShop. Uh, uh, you know, the f- official like Nintendo first party thing. Um, and it's just sort of a little arcade action game. You play as a little bird who's running around on the bottom of the screen. You have a long tongue that you can stick out to grab beans that are fl- uh, floating downward from above. And, you know, you have to stick out your tongue to eat them. Uh, and they come faster and faster. And as you, if you start missing the beans, they impact on the floor and leave gaps in the floor that you can't walk over. Hmm. Uh, but there are special white beans that you can eat that refill floor tiles that may have been broken away. And then it's just sort of a high score attack thing where you're trying to uh, eat as many beans as you can before you get hit on the head with a bean or you run out of places to stand. Um, it's really good. Uh, it is really kind of weird to see a game that is 100% a ripoff of a Nintendo property. <laughs> um, 
And so I would recommend picking this one up before Nintendo notices. Although I can't imagine that Nintendo's like Nintendo's definitely out there name searching all of their properties. But like, does that really extend all the way to birds, bird and beans? I don't know. Um, maybe they can get away with this simply by the obscurity of bird and beans. Um, but I, I, I liked that one a lot. Um, a few others that I actually really enjoyed and played quite a bit of. Uh, let's see. Gimme Friction Babe or Gimme Friction Baby is a port of a flash game and it's really simple but it was quite fun to play it's a game where you have these little uh you you have a little shooter at the bottom of the screen if you've played things like bubble bobble it's very much like that in fact this really made me think like there needs to be a bubble bobble on here because like using the crank to aim the little aiming thing at the bottom of the screen left and right was like a perfect interaction if we're talking about games that are needed i looked where are my fishing games? It's, I mean, where are the fishing it's games? Absurd. I, get, it's I absurd. get that the developers all thought some other developer was going to make a fishing <laughs> game. I mean, that they, they are on the record saying every developer was like, well, the first thing we thought of was a fishing game and we assumed everyone else was going to make it. So we did something else. But the third party devs. And I'm kind of glad. Devs, It'd be weird if we had four fishing games. But the third party devs, no one has made me a fishing game. And I went out and looked. Like looked on itch. There's there's one coming down the part the pike that I think yeah. will be promising. The developer Please. who so there's a there's a game a little later in the season having peaked ahead called uh, Executive Golf DX, <laughs> which I cannot wait for. Yeah, I cannot wait. Golf. For. I think a crank is good for a golf game. I too. think it'll be really cool. But that same developer is working on something called Robot Fishing Village, which just based <clears throat> on the screens that he's shared looks kind of like a uh, like a fishing RPG starring robots. So it looks appealing yeah. to me I, th- I think that that is gonna that itch is gonna get scratched eventually but um it is weird isn't it i mean I, there's a craig we are we are really close to out of time so i'm just going to quickly recommend a handful of these and then you can chat with me on discord I, i've been playing a lot of <laughs> sideloaded uh games i can recommend things for you if you're curious uh so i mentioned gimme friction babe it's really good um I had a really good time with Island. It's a uh, it's a sort of uh, adventure game done in pulp. Very very impressive. Um, One bit Pac Man is a Pac Man game where Pac Man has a gun. That's cool. Um, <laughs> That's all the pitch uh, you need. That sounds great. It is. And I, I would also super recommend uh, You Cannot Go Back. It's just a really varied thing, but it was really neat in that it's the first game I've seen that where you hold the play date sideways and uh, and play it that way. I was really like, oh cool you can hold this other ways and still play cool uh there's a bunch of other cool stuff on here man I, i've had a, a lot of fun playing um uh, side loaded stuff for the play date so if you have suggestions there's new stuff coming out all the time hit us up we've got a uh, play date thread on our discord um if you enjoyed this episode this deluxe length uh <laughs> podcast episode uh Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. You can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net. That's where you'll find our contact form. You'll find our past episodes and show note page and all of that stuff. Um, you'll find links to all of our, uh, us on various podcast platforms where you can leave us a review if you would like. We certainly would like that if you did. Uh, and uh, you can also find a link to our Patreon, patreon.com slash theshortgame. All of our patrons 
get access to uh, episodes a bit early, usually several days early. Uh, and you get access to our Discord, which is where we chat about the show. We talk about the various Playdate games we're playing. We uh, announce upcoming episodes if you want to uh, play ahead. Uh, that's where we keep people abreast of what's coming up. Uh, and it's just where we talk about the games that we're playing as we're playing them, if you want to be part of that conversation. Uh, it's a great place to suggest games to us as well. So we encourage all of our listeners, jump into our Discord. Uh, if you support the show at even just a dollar a month, you get in there. And hey, if you do $5 a month, I will personally send you some short game stickers. Um, if you uh, want to find us on Twitter, we're also there at underscore short game. Uh, Mark, where can people find you and all of your work? Um, you can find me on Twitter at MC Bramhill. Uh, and you can find the, I'm currently finishing the season two of Bring Birds Back, which you can find anywhere podcasts, anywhere pods are cast. Uh, and, uh, you can listen to that episode, uh, about Panic from Welcome to Macintosh. Uh, the... We can, you can, I'll send you a link to that. You can put it in the show notes. I don't. Oh yeah, I'll definitely have a link in the show notes. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, the, those are some of the places you can find me. Yeah, I definitely recommend checking out that episode of uh, of uh, Welcome to Macintosh. Uh, great show and really great deep dive into the history of the company. I'll also have a link in the show notes uh, to the uh, to the Panic podcast I mentioned earlier, where they have the great uh, episode on the history of the Playdate. Oh, if you want some additional listening after this lengthy episode, um, uh, Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at Nate STL. And Laura, where can people find you? On Twitter at Laura J Nash. And I didn't mention I'm also on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. And listeners, thank you once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.